there. Welcome to ATL in 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm coming to you Sunday evening after the vast majority of the NBA's slate of games. We have a much clearer picture of the Hawks lottery prospects after games involving New Orleans, Washington, Memphis, Dallas, and the Hawks themselves. So while I want to get into some of what happened today in the Hawks-Bucks interesting matchup, uh, we're going to start with the lottery odds, and I apologize in advance if I break into full-fledged math teacher mode, but I can't help myself sometimes. (laughs) Okay, so there was a game today with Memphis and Dallas. Dallas won. That game's outcome clinched the number five lottery spot for the Hawks. They'll have four teams with better lottery odds, New York, Cleveland, Phoenix, and Chicago. And with Dallas's win, they are guaranteed to finish no worse than sixth in terms of lottery odds, but they cannot get to fifth worst. So the Hawks have clinched the NBA's fifth worst record, and therefore they will have the fifth best odds in next month's lottery. So there's really two things to look at. One is, what are the odds for the Hawks pick? You know, what is the situation involving the pick that the Hawks get for themselves, the one that they have with their own draft rights in the upcoming draft? But also, what we need to look at is, What are the prospects for the Dallas pick, which is top five protected? Uh, Dallas is currently in a cluster involving the Wizards, the Grizzlies, the Mavericks themselves, and the Pelicans. And that picture has started to become a little clearer, but it's still a little bit fuzzy. And so there are a lot of outcomes that that pick could still take. But let's start with the Hawks pick. First and foremost, the title of this episode The most likely outcome for the Hawks' own pick is the number seven pick. I got a lot of questions about this on Twitter when I posted it. Why? Why is that the most likely outcome? Well, the Hawks, they have a 42% chance of jumping into the top four picks. That's a 42% chance. That's less than half. So it's a more likely outcome that they do not jump into the top four. So looking at the outcomes where they don't jump into the top four, how likely are things to shake out? Well, the only way that the Hawks can stay at number five is if the four teams I mentioned before with a worse record, New York, Cleveland, Phoenix, and Chicago, if all four of those teams were to have their ping pong ball combinations come up in the lottery. Now, Those are the four teams with the best chances of getting their lottery combinations picked in the lottery, and each one has about a 50% chance of getting their combination called. But cumulatively, those 50% or so chances are not likely to all happen for all four teams. Now, we should be a little bit clear here. It's really about a 52% chance for New York, Cleveland, and Phoenix, and for Chicago, it's not quite as likely. For Chicago, it's about a 48% chance. But 
you know, roughly speaking, it's about a 50% chance for all of them taken individually, that individually each one of those teams will get picked into the top four. But it's very rare that those four will be the exact four teams having all of their lottery combinations chosen as the four teams to jump in the lottery. So there's only a 2.2% chance that New York, Cleveland, Phoenix, and Chicago all have their particular ping pong ball combinations chosen on lottery night. What's a far more likely outcome? It's far more likely that of those four teams, New York, Cleveland, Phoenix, and Chicago, that two or three of those teams get their lottery combinations chosen on draft night, and then some teams that have a better record than the Hawks and worse lottery odds, teams like Washington, Memphis, Dallas, New Orleans, Minnesota, the Lakers. It's likely that one or two of those teams will leapfrog the Hawks and get their combinations chosen on lottery night. So you know, you'd expect a, a couple of the teams worse than the Hawks to get picked, as well as a couple of teams with a better record than the Hawks get picked. Unless, of course, the Hawks themselves get one of their lottery combinations picked, which, again, as we mentioned before, will happen about 42% of the time. So there's a 42% chance that the Hawks get picked into the top four picks. But there's about a 58% chance that they don't. And in those 50, you know, within that 58%, the most likely outcome is that you get a handful of the New York, Cleveland, Phoenix, Chicago, two or three of them, and then one or two of the other teams leapfrog the Hawks. And when those teams leapfrog the Hawks, for each one that leapfrogs them, the Hawks move back a spot. So if one team leapfrogs the Hawks, they move to six. If two teams leapfrog the Hawks, they move to seven. There's a 19.6% chance that exactly one team leapfrogs the Hawks. And there's a 26.7% chance that two teams leapfrog the Hawks. What's not very likely is that three or four teams leapfrog the Hawks. Uh, three is slightly unlikely. That's about an 8.7% chance. And four is really unlikely. It's only a 0.6% chance. So the theoretical floor for the Hawks pick is the number nine spot. Seven is most likely. Nine is the floor. But realistically, eight is the floor. If they get bumped to nine, that would be really stunning. So uh, you know, even though seven is the most likely outcome, the floor is actually really should just be eight. Uh, nine is very, very unlikely. So, you know, there's still a great chance that they jump into the top four. It's a 42% chance. Uh, but if they don't, then suddenly seven is a very likely outcome. And, and if not seven, maybe six. But eight and nine are pretty unlikely. And five is also, as we mentioned before, really unlikely because it would have to have New York, Cleveland, Phoenix, Chicago, that exact combination of four teams picking in the top four. So that's the picture for the Hawks pick. Now, what about the picture for the Dallas pick? There is still a big possible swing in what the lottery odds are for that Dallas pick. Because Dallas can still finish anywhere from the number six spot to the number nine spot. 
The outcomes of the games today were that Dallas defeated Memphis, Washington lost, and New Orleans won. So in order from 6 to 9 in terms of the 6th worst record to the ninth worst record, Washington has the worst record among that group at 32 and 49. Memphis and Dallas are currently tied for the 7th and 8th worst records at 32 and 48. And with a win, New Orleans jumped to the 9th worst record at 33 and 48. But, you know, looking at that Dallas pick, they're half a game better than Washington, half a game behind New Orleans. There are still all sorts of outcomes that could take place here, including ties. But it's a big swing. A big, big swing. For example, if Dallas gets to the sixth worst record, then they'll have about a 37% chance of keeping the pick. If Dallas gets to the ninth worst record, if they were to win a game or two here towards the end of the season, they have two left. If they were to get to the ninth worst record, they'd, have, they'd only have about a 20% chance of keeping the pick. So that swing there from 37% to 20%, that's a big swing. Uh, you know, that's the, that's the difference between the Hawks having a 63% chance of keeping their pick versus an 80% chance of, and I should, keeping's the wrong verb there, getting. There's, you know, that's the difference between the Hawks having a 63% chance of receiving the pick versus the Hawks having an 80% chance of receiving the pick. Now, again, you know, there's some trade-off. Uh, what you gain in terms of certainty of getting the pick, you lose in terms of what the floor of that pick is. Uh, so it's, you know, kind of a mixed result here. Uh, you know, maybe you want to hope for the most uncertain scenario. Maybe you want to hope that those odds aren't that great. Uh, because if, for example, Dallas ends up with the sixth worst record, then the floor of that pick is the tenth pick. If they end up with the ninth worst record, the floor of that pick is theoretically the thirteenth pick. Uh, even though it would be more like, practically speaking, the 11th pick. Because of how unlikely the, the 12th and 13th place combinations are. Uh, but lots of interesting scenarios here. In terms of remaining games, Washington has a game with Boston. Boston is locked in the number four seed, so they are not going to have a whole lot to play for. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what shakes out of that game. Dallas has a pair of games remaining. One against the Spurs, who figure to have quite a bit to play for. And one against Phoenix. Phoenix figures to have very little incentive to win that game. They are currently tied with Cleveland for the second and third worst records. Uh, I'm sure that they would like to... Uh, that, that won't really affect their lottery odds, but whether you end up second or third, what it will impact is the floor of that pick. So I'm sure that Phoenix would like to lose that game and have a, a, a better floor for that pick than, than they would if they win that game. So Dallas-Phoenix figures to be quite a tickle fight. 
Memphis has two games remaining, one against Golden State, one against Detroit. Uh, Golden State probably won't have a whole lot to play for. And the Pelicans have one game remaining, also against Golden State. And like we just said, uh, Golden State figures not to have a whole lot to play for at this point. They have clinched the best record in the Western Conference and home court in the playoffs until they get to the finals. So there are still a lot of outcomes for that Dallas pick. But Hawks did the one thing that they really needed to do, which was finish worse than Dallas in the standings. They've, they've locked in the fifth worst record and made it much more likely that the Dallas pick will for, confer to them this season. Is that enough math for you? I hope that was enough math. But remember, still, the most likely outcome for the Hawks' own pick, <laughs> it's the number seven pick which figures to be a good pick. The Hawks have been good at drafting the last couple of seasons. Travis Schlenk seems to have a knack for that sort of thing. There are some players in this draft. I would suspect that the Hawks end up picking somebody with that number seven pick who steps into the rotation right away. Uh, Whether they step in as a positive contributor or a negative contributor would remain to be seen, but I think they'll get a piece that is important enough to the franchise and skilled enough that they'll want to get that player thrown into the fire, so to speak, right away. All right, on to the Hawks game. The Hawks lost to Milwaukee today. Milwaukee didn't have a whole lot to play for. They have already clinched the NBA's best record throughout the playoffs. They will have home court advantage uh, no matter how far in the playoffs they advance. Uh, But the Hawks did have one thing to play for, uh, Coach Mike Budenholzer's second 60-win season, and they got it. But the Hawks made it interesting. Uh, Milwaukee led from start to finish. In fact, Milwaukee jumped out right away and and put the Hawks in a big hole early. But, you know, beyond that big hole that they developed in the first quarter, Uh, The Hawks kind of dug out of it, and there were some positive things for the Hawks to take away out of this game. Uh, For starters, Trey Young and John Collins didn't play in this game. Uh, The reason given for both was load management. Uh, So that was Trey Young's first game this season of uh, not playing. He played 80 straight games, started 80 straight games, For games 1 through 80, but he missed game 81. I suspect that we'll see Trey Young in Wednesday's season finale. uh, The fan fest, so to speak. But uh, that remains to be seen. And for John Collins, uh, you know, he's missed a bunch of games, but he missed this one. And again, the stated reason was load management. So that meant that the Hawks started Jalen Adams, Kevin Herter, who was questionable with a uh, some mid-back pain, but Herter did start and played pretty well. Uh, Torian Prince, Isaac Humphreys at power forward, and Alex Len at center. And I joked before the game about that particular matchup because if you looked at the two rosters on paper, the Bucks were starting Giannis at power forward and the Hawks were starting Isaac Humphreys. My joke turned out to be not that funny. The Hawks... Did a reasonable job 
if you watched how they matched up, uh, what the Hawks did defensively was they guarded Giannis with their center, Alex Lynn, as most teams do. Giannis got it going early. Giannis had it going the whole game. Uh, he is a force of nature. He's unbelievable. Uh, there was a point in the game at which he you know, did the Eurostep dunk combination for which he's famous, the Eurostep. Uh, possession later, he hit a three. He started chirping at Alex Len. Uh, I don't think Alex appreciated it, but he kind of smiled, and Alex was game for the, from there on out. Uh, a career high for Alex Len in this one. On the strength of Alex Len's play, the Hawks made a run in the fourth quarter, got it down to single digits. It almost looked like they might mess around and pull a win out of this, which at that point would have been a perfectly positive outcome because Dallas had already won at that point and the Hawks had already locked in the fifth worst record. But uh, Chris Middleton made a few shots for the Hawks. I'm sorry, a few shots for the Bucks, And, uh, you know, he really hadn't made a whole lot of shots up to that point. But once he did that, the, uh, the Bucks pulled away. If, if you listen to Alex Len talking after the game, he said that the Hawks were supposed to blitz some of their pick-and-roll coverages there late, uh, but they botched them, and the Bucks made a few threes, including the one by Middleton, as a result. Actually, I think Middleton had two threes near the end of the game. To get to the three stars, let's go with DeAndre Bembry. Bembry had 13 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal. He made 5 of 11 shots. Uh, late in the game, when Alex Len was going thermonuclear, the Hawks tried to put some pressure on Len, uh, tried to get the ball out of his hands, which, you know, again, the Hawks, given their roster limitations, weren't loaded with offense. Bembry, on more than one occasion, twice made a nice back cut, and Alex Len found him with a perfect bounce pass on each one. Uh, so that was some offense that the Hawks relied on late as they tried to make that late push. So good stuff from Bembry in that regard. And again, he was uh, one of the team's leading rebounders with eight rebounds. Uh, Vince Carter had nine. Alex Len had eight. But you know, anytime your backup wing comes in and gives you eight rebounds, you're getting a, a good performance. And of course, Bembry was his typical good good defender self. So... DeAndre Bembry for the third star. For the second star, let's go with Kevin Herter. The starters as a unit here, uh, apart from Len, weren't terrific. Uh, they were at a talent disadvantage compared to the Bucks. Again, they had Isaac Humphreys at power forward. Torian Prince had an off-shooting night, only made four of 16 shots. Uh, Jalen Adams made his first career start, uh, and he was fine. Uh, he competed on defense, but obviously he's not the dynamic player that Trey Young is. So again, that put the Hawks in a little bit of a hole. But Kevin Herter, uh, we'll go with him as the second star because you know what the Hawks did is what they've done a bunch when Trey Young hasn't been in the game for the last month. They put the ball in Kevin Herter's hands. Uh, I don't want to say that they made him the point guard, but at least they made him the half point guard if you will, and Herter looked perfectly fine in that capacity, running picket rolls, 
and getting the ball to the right spots. Uh, he made four of ten shots. He had uh, a team-high six assists and only one turnover. Uh, so to see that from Kevin Herter, especially you know in a situation where he's not overloaded with offensive talent and offensive weapons on the floor with him, uh, that's good stuff. So kudos to Kevin Herter for running the offense and running it as efficiently as one might expect given the roster limitations in this one. And then for Alex Len, again, a career-high 33 points. He made 13 of 23 shots. There was a point in the second half where he was just uh, unconscious in terms of he was doing everything. You know, but Like we mentioned, the bounce passes. He was doing the pump fake and goes. He was doing make. He was making threes. He had a bunch of dunks. He had one dunk where he was driving baseline. Brooke Lopez bumped him. He went for the continuation, swung it around to the other side of the rim, and as he swung around to the other side of the rim and kind of did a reverse layup sort of dunk, he dunked it over Giannis. So, uh, just an incredible effort from Len. The Hawks were clearly making him the focal point of their offense, as they should have at that point. Uh, the only drawback for Len on the night is he made one of seven free throws. His career high could have been so much more if he was having a good night from the free throw line. And I thought it was ironic that, you know, watching Alex Len, a seven footer, making six of 12 threes. And then once he got hot from three, when the Bucks started to contest it, he started to make, you know, the pump fake and go drives of a seven foot, you know, kind of methodical center uh, that you might see specifically from a player like Brooke Lopez. And it was Brooke Lopez who Alex Len was kind of roasting at that point. Uh, I am very intrigued. Every time I say something to this effect, I get a bunch of pushback from Bucks fans. But, you know, in my eyes, the key to beating the Bucks is to have a player like Alex Len. You need to have somebody who's a seven-footer, who's a big enough player to guard Giannis. Either, you know, one, to just guard Giannis straight up, or number two, to be a secondary defender of Giannis at the rim. But also, at, at the same time, you need somebody who can make threes. Uh, the Hawks have gotten, I'm sorry, the Bucks. Uh, Budenholzer coaches the Bucks now. Budenholzer has gotten very good at selecting who takes the threes from the opposition. You know, they, they scheme their defense and tilt their defense towards the good shooters and try to leave the bad shooters open. But, I think... If you load the floor with five good shooters against Budenholzer, their help-happy scheme of constantly trying to protect the rim, protect the rim at all costs with one, sometimes two help defenders, uh, that's going to leave stuff open in terms of shooters. And there are going to be times when that works for the when that works for the Bucks, either because to get shooters on the floor you have to sacrifice defense, or to get shooters. Uh, or you just don't have enough shooters on the floor that the, the Bucks don't have to respect certain shooters. But if you have somebody like Alex Len, who can be a credible rim protector, and somebody who can make threes, that's the kind of player that uh, that can give the Bucks a headache in the playoffs. I mean, I still think that the Bucks are the favorite to win the East, but it's going to be interesting. And I don't think that the Bucks are particularly 
dynamic in terms of what they can do from a flexibility point of view. If something's not working, I don't know that they can switch what they do because they just loaded up their roster with a bunch of the same types of players. So we shall see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, but a good effort from the Hawks and a stunning effort from Alex Len. If you were listening to this pod and didn't see the game, I highly recommend going to YouTube or whatnot and finding a three-minute clip of what Alex Len did in this game because, honestly, it was quite jaw-dropping. He was unconscious. So very entertaining stuff from Mr. Len. A few loose odds and ends before we tie things up here. Uh, for starters, one of the things that I didn't mention about the lottery odds and that cluster that Dallas is in from 6 to 9. If Dallas ends up in a some sort of tie, then in terms of ping pong balls for that tie, you know, you just kind of take the two sets of lottery odds for the two teams that are tied and just put them all in one big pool and split them equally in half. So that's the approach that would matter in terms of, you know, ping pong ball combinations. But at the same time, uh, you need some sort of default order if neither of the teams that are involved in the tie actually jump into the top four. So if there is a tie between two, maybe three, I guess even four teams, uh, to separate the tie, what typically happens, and I'll have to check with the league to find the date, uh, but it's typically the same week that the season ends. So like this year, the season ends on a Wednesday. You know, typically it would happen the Friday, two days later. Uh, the league will do coin flips to break the ties. And, and those coin flips have nothing to do with the ping pong ball lottery odd combinations. But they have everything to do with the floor of the pick. Uh, should neither or you know, all of the teams involved in the tie not advance uh, into the top four. So, uh, you know, that would be very soon. Uh, you know, I'm recording this on a Sunday night. By Friday, uh, we would have some knowledge of how those ties might be broken, I would suspect. Another loose factoid worth your time. We mentioned the fact that Trey Young did not play in this one, and he had played in every game thus far this season. Uh, Chris Kirshner of The Athletic asked Trey about not playing in this game and if there was any kind of pushback. And Kirshner reported that Trey said, I wanted to play in all 82 games, but it's about the future for us. Of course I wanted to play, but that's just how it works. you got to build for the future. And then when asked if he wanted to play or not, Trey said, I don't want to get into all of what happened and what was said. So interesting to, to note what happened there. And one final little fact before we finish. I know on a previous pod I mentioned that when General Manager Travis Schlenk was doing his radio interview this past week, he mentioned that he'd be going through Europe and that he would be seeing games in Athens, Ljubljana, and Vilnius, and that he said that he was scouting somebody who was six foot eleven in Athens, and I don't know how I missed it the first time I was scanning the rosters, but I I made one suggestion, and that suggestion was terrible because it didn't make any sense based on the age of the player. Ignore what I said then. Travis said that it was a 6'11 player playing in EuroLeague, playing in Athens this week, and taking all those factors into account, 
the player that he was scouting almost certainly had to be Goga Batadze. He's a 19-year-old center from uh, Georgia. He plays for Baduknost, who was playing uh, Panathinaikos in Athens this week. He had 16 points and 8 rebounds in 23 minutes and a loss. Uh, but Batadze, he could theoretically be a first-round pick in this upcoming draft, so be interesting to see uh, how that shakes out. But I suspect that that was the player that Travis was watching in Athens this week. So correction to what I was saying before. I don't. I thought I checked the rosters of all four teams playing in Athens this week, and I, and I missed that one. So let's roll with that name instead. As always, subscribe, rate, review. Thank you for listening. I've got a pod coming with Tyler probably sometime tomorrow talking about, you know, what we would do in terms of staffing the summer league roster, uh, whether or not Kevin Herter deserves a spot on the all-rookie teams, and, and some other stuff. So keep an eye out for that pod. That should go up probably sometime in the next 24 hours. And again, I'm recording this on a Sunday night. And as always, thanks for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us.